Coming up, a holiday book that might make you want to sing. A science book for people who don't read science books. Plus our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. I love Christmas music so much. Sure. Starting December 1st, I'm all about it. I understand that not everybody is on the Christmas song train. I like being on the Christmas song train. I do too. The Jingle Bells? Yes. Yeah. We've been cultivating our Spotify playlist for years. Yeah. And it's now almost 15 hours of music. Did you know that? I did know that. (laughs) We've got the classics. Yep. Like Marshmallow World by Dean Martin. Sure. And of course, All I Want for Christmas is You. Dean Martin does a thing during I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm that I look forward to hearing every year. I thought you ought to know my heart. Do you know that I lost Ramageddon on December 1st? Voluntarily, though, right? Not really. I have the song on my playlist. I mean, if you have it on your playlist, you you have signed up for hearing it. Sure. We should tell people what Whamageddon is. So Whamageddon is a sort of made-up contest where you try to go as long as you can through the holiday season without hearing Wham's Last Christmas. On December 1st, I was riding the tram, it was snowing, it was fantastic, and the fourth song that came on my Christmas playlist was Last Christmas, and I celebrated losing Whamageddon. (laughs) Again, I'm not sure you lost there, but... I got whammed! (laughs) I also have friends who play the same game with the little drummer boy. Oh yeah, I don't want to hear that. Or Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. Oh, I like that one. Not everybody does. In case anyone is wondering, here are my top three new favorite Christmas songs. Okay. Blame It on Christmas by Shea Diamond. Blame it on Christmas. Why am I out of control? It Snowed by Megan Smith. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. That was the first song that came up on my playlist this year. That's nice. When it was snowing. And third, Think of Christmas by Anne-Marie. I I encourage you to treat yourself to these cheery songs. I will put links in show notes. Okay, we are now getting to the book that inspired all of this talk. All right. It's called This is Christmas, Song by Song, The Stories Behind 100 Holiday Hits by Annie Zaleski. Annie is a music writing powerhouse. She wrote an excellent book about Duran Duran's album Rio for the 33 and a Third series. Oh, yeah. I love that series. That's a bunch of little tiny books about particular albums that writers have sort of chosen to write about. Um, One of my favorite ones is about a Tom Waits album. I've also heard that the one about a Celine Dion album is particularly sort of fascinating for its look into an album that the writer doesn't like. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Annie has also written biographies of Lady Gaga and Pink. So she is in it. Her Christmas book is a delight. It tells the stories behind 100 Christmas songs in chronological order. So you can kind of see how the songs change and evolve through the decades. Starts in 1942 with White Christmas by Bing Crosby, which BT dubs, best selling single of all time. And the book ends with Taylor Swift's 2019 song, Christmas Tree Farm. 
In between are the stories of Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, Jingle Bell Rock, Snow Miser and Heat Miser, and tons more. One of the details that really stuck with me is how many of these snowy songs are recorded when it's swelteringly hot outside. Yeah. (laughs) Including Christmas Baby Please Come Home, famously recorded by Darlene Love, and Mel Torme's The Christmas Song. In August, August of 1981, rock star Billy Squire went into a New York studio to record Christmas is the Time to Say I Love You. Christmas is the time to say I love you. Joining him, I did not know this, were members of King Crimson, Meatloaf, Sweet, and The Knack. That's like a super group. I really like that song, and one of the reasons that I really like that song is because I think the first time I saw it, I saw the video. And the video has just a ton of people in a studio singing together, and it looks like one of the greatest Christmas parties you'll ever see. According to the story, they were, quote, fetid with a Christmas-style turkey dinner and spirits to create the appropriate atmosphere of good cheer. So that video is probably legit. Yeah. This book is filled with insider details like that, and it's really a lot of fun. It's This Is Christmas, Song by Song, The Stories Behind 100 Holiday Hits by Annie Zaleski. So as I said at the top, I'm going to tell you about a science book that I think will appeal to people who don't normally read science books. I'm in that category. So if you can sell me, (laughs) you're golden. Okay. So first, though, I need to tell you about the bathysphere. That sounds made up. It was made up back in 1930 or so. The bathysphere was a -a one-of-a-kind vehicle, a custom ride, if you will, that was built in the 1920s. It was built to explore the deep sea. Before the bathysphere, no one had ever gone very deep into the ocean. It's dark, and the crushing pressure is a big problem beyond a few hundred feet. Plus sea monsters. Also sea monsters. But an American naturalist wanted to see what was down there. His name was William Beebe. And he enlisted a young engineer, Otis Barton, and together they made the bathysphere. It was a hollow sphere cast from a single piece of steel. Wow. Yeah, with three windows and a newfangled fancy telephone line. It was a little over four and a half feet in diameter, or about a meter and a half. And it was a heavy boy. It weighed over two tons. Mm -hmm. In June of 1930... They put themselves in the sphere, crammed in there together really tightly. Cozy. Yep. Attached the bathysphere to a steel cable and the steel cable to an arm off of a ship. And then they dropped themselves into the deep blue sea. It was incredibly dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of stressed me out. (laughs) Yeah. If that cable broke, they would have had a bad, bad time of it. And I also imagine it was very exciting. Beeb put his light up to a window and described what he saw through the telephone. And on the other end of the phone, up on the ship, was a woman who took notes. Her name was Gloria Hollister. And that's how Beeb, Barton, and Hollister became the first people to document the creatures in the deep sea. That is really cool. Yeah. So, now I need to tell you about the book. The book is called The Bathysphere Book, Effects of the Luminous Ocean Depths by Brad Fox. This is an unusual science book. It feels like a book that might have been written for a world designed by Wes Anderson. (laughs) First, it's a beautiful book. 
There are watercolors and prints of deep-sea fish and photographs of journal covers and old tugboats. The Globe and Mail said that this was one of the most beautiful books as objects of the year. The writing is lovely. It is a joy to read. I'm going to give you a short paragraph from the book. The author is talking about the field station that the divers had in Bermuda. He writes, Beebe kept a pair of binoculars at the field station, still a rarity in that time. When newcomers arrived, he instructed them to point the binoculars at the moon. Their reaction to this sight told him all he needed to know. Only inarticulate amazement signaled a worthwhile character. <laughs> Anything less meant the visitor's life was but a pointless march towards death. Wow. <laughs> it's also a science book that tells you about the scientist's love life and the success or lack thereof of his marriage. We learn about what happened to everybody once they finished the remarkable achievement. It is an exploration of life a hundred years ago. It's a book about the fleeting nature of fame and achievement. It's a celebration of curiosity. The Washington Post called it one of their 10 best books of the year. It's the bathysphere book, Effects of the Luminous Ocean Depths by Brad Fox. That sounds like it would make an excellent Christmas present. It does. Perhaps for me, even. <laughs> and now our distraction of the week. I think it's pretty clear from our shows that I enjoy eating. I also enjoy eating. It's true. Sometimes after I make dinner and you've taken a few bites, you actually say, do you like food? I like food. Yeah. <laughs> it's sure. nice. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about traveling is trying local dishes and eating foods that are new to me. But if I were going to list my favorite foods, toast would be very close to the top. Depending on the day, it could be number one. So I think you're going to need to sell that a little bit for non-believers. Okay, here's an example. Okay. A few years ago, we decided to have a toast extravaganza on Christmas morning. Yeah. And we called it Crustmas. Of course we did. We got some really good Czech rye bread. Yep. And a loaf of white toasting bread. Yep. And a bunch of spreads. Irish butter, cream cheese, pate, peanut butter, honey, blueberry jam, strawberry jam, plus some cold cuts and cheese. Yes. It was like a charcuterie platter with extras. Yeah. And while I was setting the table, Dave had a genius idea. He got an extension cord, plugged in the toaster, and put the toaster right on the table next to our plates so that we could make fresh toast without even getting out of our chairs. Yeah, this is a critical step in the celebration of Christmas. Toaster on the table. Yep. Get as many extension cords as you need to make that happen. Yes. Also, I would like to point out, I don't know if you're going to get into this, Christmas need not be just that one day a year. Oh, no. Christmas can be celebrated any time of year. Yeah. The whole thing was really fantastic. And we're doing Christmas again this year. And but. <laughs> yeah. We discovered a new-to-us food vlogger on YouTube that might help us take Christmas to the next level. I need to tell you about Beryl Sharefsky. I like Beryl. Beryl is adorable, but yeah. let's be a little more specific. Okay. She lives in New York City. Yep. And she's worked in media for more than a decade for big names like Martha Stewart, ABC, CNN, and Great Big Story. She's okay. very good at talking on camera and putting together excellent video. Impressively good. She's like both of those things are two completely different skills, and she's very good at both of them. 
She launched her YouTube channel in 2020, and it's devoted to enjoying food from around the world. Yep. And the way she does it is really charming and welcoming. She invites people to share their favorite foods from their culture, and then she cooks the recipes. But she's not a chef, and her show is not a cooking show. Really. I mean, she does show you how to make the recipes. Yeah. But it's really about curiosity, empathy, and joy. Yeah. Most of the screen time is devoted to Beryl eating the dish and sharing what the experience is like. She's really good at describing both how the food tastes and how it makes her feel. We watch another series of videos, and without naming name, they're not very good at describing food. They just say everything is delicious. And it always kind of brings me down a little bit. (laughs) It does. Like, how is it delicious? Tell me more. And Beryl does that. Beryl, like, really hits it out with these flavors are combining with these flavors, and it's got such and such a consistency or texture to it. And And the smell is reminding me of... Yeah. She kind of does for food what we tried to do with books, which is, here's what it's about, here's what it did to us to read it. Yeah. (laughs) And she does that with food. Yeah. Another really sweet aspect of her videos is that While she is basically the hostess, she is not the only star. She features people from around the world because she includes a short video message from each person who recommends a recipe. So it's this really nice, warm feeling of seeing their faces and hearing them explain what a particular dish means to them. Yeah. It makes the world feel enormous because she's talking about countries that maybe you haven't considered before. and small at the same time because you realize people like to eat and feel love. Previous episodes of her show have explored chickpea dishes, what people eat for breakfast, how the world drinks black tea, sandwiches, what Chinese people order in Chinese restaurants, that kind of thing. There are more than 200 videos to enjoy so you can really explore. She also did one on what people from five countries eat on Christmas. So I will include that one in show notes. But relevant to our interests is a series she did on toast. It kind of started with a misunderstanding, which is really charming. When she hit 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, Beryl asked her audience how they toast in their country. Meaning, when you're celebrating, what do you put in your glass? (laughs) And what do you say when you raise the glass to other people? Right. But people misunderstood. Yeah. They thought she meant toast like hot, crispy bread. Yeah. So when she put out the request for people to send her ideas, she got lots of videos of people talking about how they eat toast. (laughs) And she said that it was so wholesome and pure that she decided to just roll with it and go ahead and make a video. Yeah. That was in 2021. The first video was about toast from Singapore, India, the UK, Austria, and Canada. She has now made 10 videos in the Toast series because people kept sending her ideas and she kept loving them. That sounds like 50 Toast variations. Delicious, delicious Toast variations. She is one of my favorite people making stuff on the internet these days because she's kind and curious and she loves to eat. We also recently learned that she's really into board games. Yeah. So she's definitely our kind of person and I think you'll like her too. 
Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more on the books we talked about today and on Beryl and her international eating adventures. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. 